I don't know if you've ever heard somebody pray before in another language, but it's pretty strong, isn't it? I want to pray as powerfully as he does. If you would, turn the Bible to the book of Zechariah. This is the second to last minor prophet in the Old Testament. It is page 870 if you're going to use a pew Bible. We've been in the Minor Prophets now for a long time, been walking through them, and we're just about done. We have Zechariah, and then we have the final Minor Prophet in the Old Testament, the final book of the Old Testament, Malachi, left. So we're just about finished. But if you know much, Zechariah may be the most loaded, all right? It is 14 chapters. There's a lot to deal with here. Uh, We may be in Zechariah for a long time. There are a lot of visions. In a lot of ways, it is like the book of Revelation, uh, in a lot of ways, it is the most, um, uh, the most about Jesus. They're all about Jesus, but it is the most about Jesus. Uh, but, but we are now to Zechariah. You've all heard people say before that it takes such and such days to form a habit. Haven't y'all heard that? I don't know how many days it takes. I've heard seven, I've heard 14, I've heard 16, I've heard 21, I've heard 24. It takes that many days to to form a habit. And obviously there are good reasons why you need to get into the routine to form a habit. But we also know that you can kind of get out of the habit, right? It's happened to you before. Something good in your life that you're pretty consistent with and faithful with, but uh, for whatever reason... Summer hits, winter hits, vacation hits, something hits, and you kind of fall out of the habit. And now you start saying, well, I used to, I used to do that. And I really did used to like reading. I haven't read in a long time, but I used to. And I, I did used to spend time with the kids, and we used to go for walks. We used to do all that stuff, but we don't anymore. And I used to eat healthy, but I don't anymore. You know, we, 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 we find ourselves referring back to something that was good in our lives, but we have kind of lost it. And for many people, for whatever reason, we rarely get back to it, right? Many people are living with a thought of something good in their lives that they were proud of, and it could be a number of different things, that they used to do, and they liked that they did that, They wish they did it now, but they don't do it anymore. Again, it could be anything. It could be the way you eat. It could be time spent with somebody. I can't tell you how many times I've heard a married couple say, yeah, we used to do all those things too, like dates and love notes and flowers, and he would open the door for me. We used to do all those things too. Sure wish we still did, but we just don't anymore. Right? And, and, And today I want us to really think about what... What's keeping us from getting back to something that we're admitting is good? We wish we did it, we just don't. Is there a legit excuse? Is there something in the way? Is there a reasonable excuse for why we're not? Are we lazy? Do we just make excuses? Are we that weird type of creature that's okay with being let down in ourselves? Are we... Are we living in a sort of disappointed mindset? I know I could do this. I'm just not going to. I wish I was doing it, but I'm not doing it anymore. And all of this raises the idea of returning 
back to what you know. Getting back right, if you will. Certainly reading or hanging out with the kids or dieting or exercising or things like that are important, but not nearly as important as returning back to the relationship with the Lord that you know you so desire. Getting back into walking in the ways of the Lord that you, that you long for, that you desire, that you know is right for you and good for you, that you know that God desires from you, returning to that. And in so many ways, this is where the book of Zechariah, again, a long one, 14 chapters, but this is where the book of Zechariah begins. Zechariah is a contemporary with Haggai, the one we were just in. The minor prophet right before Zechariah, Haggai, is a contemporary with Zechariah. They were prophets at the same time. Now remember that the Bible has a lot of prophets in it, and prophets, listen, are people that get a message from God, and then they go and tell it to God's people. That's what a prophet does. He doesn't come up with the message. God gives them a message, and he goes to the people and says, thus says the Lord, God told me to tell you, here's what God says, and then they say that. It's kind of the opposite of a priest. A priest is somebody who the people go to, and they say, hey, we sinned, we're confessing our sin, we need forgiveness, will you cry out to God for us and pray to God and ask forgiveness for us? That's what a priest does. You don't need a priest anymore. Jesus is your high priest. You don't need a prophet anymore. Jesus is your ultimate prophet. We have the word of God that speaks to us now, and it is finished. So you don't need that prophet and priest anymore outside of Jesus. But in the Old Testament, there were prophets, and Zechariah is one. Haggai is one. And we call them the minor prophets because their books are really small. They're not minor in their importance. They're major, but the major prophets are the really long ones like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel just because they're long. And and all these other minor prophets, there are 12 minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament. They're the minor just because they're little. They're major too in their significance. But Zechariah and Haggai were at the same time. If you'll notice at the beginning, look at the very, very beginning of Zechariah. It says, in the eighth month, In the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. Eight months, second year, Darius' reign. Well, turn back one page to the beginning of Haggai. Turn back one page to the beginning of Haggai. Haggai's a small book. Look what it says. I said one page, and some of y'all are still turning. The beginning of Haggai says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai. Everybody see that? So that means they're just two months apart. Haggai is in the sixth month of the second year of the reign of Darius, and Zechariah is in the eighth month. They're just two months apart. So right after Haggai got started, Zechariah comes along, and so get this. God's people are now back in Jerusalem. The temple is destroyed. They've got to rebuild it. And they got Haggai over here preaching to them what God tells him to. And they got Zechariah over here preaching to them what God tells him to. So we got multiple messages going on. Now, maybe not at the exact same time. We can see that the, the days are different, but it is the same time period. Remember, Haggai had five different messages. And Zechariah is now here with, with his message. So, remember the setting? 
God's people for a long time had been sinning and falling away from God. The history of the Old Testament in so many ways is God's people being unfaithful and getting further and further away from God. So what they need, okay, this is why I've started the the sermon today the way I did. What they need is they need to return back to God. They need to get back to when they were seeking the Lord and loving God and following him. They needed to return back to that, right? They, they, They had that habit that was broken, and now they need to get back to it, right? That's what they needed to do. But they were in exile, and they were captured in Babylon, and they were really, really far from God. But when Darius, listen, when Darius became the king, he allowed them to go back to Jerusalem. He didn't keep them as prisoners. He let them go back. And so now there's a group of people, and Zechariah is one of them. Now there is a group of people, the Israelites, that have now traveled back into Jerusalem, and they're trying to return. They have returned, and they're not only back there in their land, but they're trying to return back to the living, the ways that God had told them to. They're trying to get back to that, but they're just not there. The temple's destroyed Remember, the temple is where they would go to worship. The temple is what represented the presence of God. God would meet them there. And there was no temple. It was destroyed. And so you remember the very first message in Haggai is that God told them to rebuild the temple. Remember, they made that excuse that they didn't want to and they didn't think it was the right time. And we gave you that big message on priorities a few weeks ago. And God says to them, well, you sure are doing a good job building your own house. Your house looks good. You've got it taken care of. So you've got wood panel all over your house. Your house looks really good. And do you really want to say to me that your house is more important than my house? God says that to them. So then God says, what you need to do is go right up there on that mountain. There's wood there. I know there is. Grab some of that wood. Come back down here and build my house. That's the beginning of Haggai. You know what the Bible says they did? They said, okay. They repented. The Bible says they started to obey, and they listened to God, and they returned back to doing that and starting to rebuild the temple. And it's about then that Zechariah comes along with this huge book. And so Haggai was kind of like this, you guys need to repent, get right, turn back to God, and start building my temple. And Zechariah comes along with that same message, but it's bigger and fuller. And Zechariah's saying, that's right, we're going to rebuild this temple, the Lord is going to come, we're going to have God's presence, his blessing is going to be on us, we're going to walk in his ways, we're going to be faithful. And you know what? He has a savior, a messiah, a king, Jesus is He will fill this temple. He will meet us. He will restore us one day and take us to heaven. And so while Haggai is just calling them back to obedience and blessing and to the rebuilding of the temple, for there's where they will be close to God, Zechariah has come along with 14 chapters, a crazy wild message. There are eight different crazy visions in the book of Zechariah. He comes along with all that, and it's kind of at the same time as Haggai is calling them to repent and do what's right, Zechariah is kind of now motivating them with the hope of living for Jesus. This is an awesome book. Listen to how one commentator describes it. Zechariah joined Haggai in rousing the people from their indifference, challenging them to resume the building of the temple. Haggai's primary purpose was to rebuild the temple. His preaching has a tone of rebuke for the people's indifference. Y'all know what indifference is, right? Just... You want to get back living for God? You ready to return back and repent of your sins and cry out to God and start walking in obedience? 
Kind of, sort of, not really, maybe, one of these days. I hope to, I'd like to. That's indifference. People of God were that way. It says that Haggai was talking to them, rebuking them for their indifference, their sin, their lack of trust in God. He was used to start the revival, listen to this, while Zechariah was used to keep it going strong with a more positive emphasis, calling the people to repentance and reassuring them regarding future blessings. Zechariah sought to encourage the people to build the temple in view of the promise that someday the Messiah would come to inhabit it. The people were not just building for the present, but with the future hope of the Savior in mind. He encouraged the people still downtrodden by the Gentile powers with the reality that the Lord remembers his covenant promises to them and that he would restore and bless them. You know what, you know what Zechariah means? It's important to know what all the prophets' names are. Zechariah means God remembers. The Lord remembers. Don't you remember in Haggai where they're kind of frustrated, the temple's not there, and they finally start building it back, and remember God asked them that question in chapter two. He says, hey, how's it look? Especially you older folks that remember what the original temple looked like. How's it look? And their answer was, it's decent. It's not as good as it used to be. I mean, back in the good old days, it was an awesome temple. This one's just okay. And it left the people longing for a strong relationship with God. It left the people longing for a closeness, for it to be the way you would desire it to be, that it would feel good, that you would have encouragement, that you know God, you walk with God, you have a relationship with him. It left them leaving that way. And so perhaps everybody is living that way. That you know that life's about God, as I've often said. But sometimes it's not feeling that way to you. Like focusing on God and walking by faith and being a true follower of Christ isn't seeming to bring the fulfillment that you expect it to. And Zechariah comes along and here's the meaning of his name. The Lord remembers. The Lord remembers that he's made promises. The Lord remembers that he's got a people that are desperate and have no hope apart from him. The Lord remembers that if he doesn't save us, we won't be saved. The Lord remembers that if he doesn't love us, we're not going to be loved. The Lord remembers that if he's not our salvation, we don't have a salvation. If he's not our life, we don't have life. But the Lord remembers so the book of Zechariah is this awesome account at the end of the Old Testament of God speaking to his people to press forward in obedience, rebuild the temple, see the plan of God kick back into working and leading to a temple where the Lord Jesus would come. Read with me, if you will, verse 1. We're going to read all the way to verse 6. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying. Now, let me stop there for just a second. You know, a lot of times in, in that, that very first verse, you can kind of learn a lot 
Zechariah, you know, you've heard me say many times with these minor prophets that we don't know anything about this guy. This is the only place where we have his name. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. We've, we've seen that a lot on these minor prophets. Not Zechariah. This name is very, very common. Right now, I'm sure you can think of multiple Zechariahs in the Bible. They're all over the place, right? Some 30 different times in the Bible we have a Zechariah, and it's really hard to kind of figure out which one is which. There are a lot of Zechariahs. But here it does tell us that he's the son of Berechiah and the son of Iddo. And I just want to read something to you. In Matthew chapter 23, and if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know that when Jesus is here in, the, in, in Matthew 23, you have all these woes. And in Matthew chapter 23, he says this, Therefore I send you the prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel, listen to this, is the words of Jesus in Matthew 23, to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Now, it doesn't tell us a lot there. And it doesn't exactly mean that it's this guy. But this guy here is Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. And in Matthew 23, Jesus talks about them killing God's man, Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. Most likely is him. So he was a prophet that eventually was rejected that was murdered for doing what he does. Verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Now this is a big message in the Bible. That there had been a lot of disobedience, a lot of indifference, we saw that word, to God and to his ways and his expectations. And what happens when that happens is that it carries over from generation to generation. And this isn't really far-fetched for us to grasp, right? I'm sure y'all know some liars out there, some fools out there, and you say, if you knew where he came from, if you knew who raised him, then you understand why he's that way, right? I mean, I'm not trying to be humorous right now. I'm saying y'all know that's true. It's not real far-fetched for us to realize that one messed up dad or one messed up parents can create children. Now, it's not always the case, but sometimes you see that. Not just in bad decisions, but now let's think just spiritually, right? You've met some rock-solid Christian people before who were raised by their father that loved the Lord and trained his kids up to walk in obedience to God and be sensitive to disobedience and to feel conviction for their sins. And when they disobey and when they sin, they're quick to turn back to the Lord and return. And so you know what? You see children and grandchildren growing up in that heritage that are desiring to be like their father. That happens. But we also know people who are good men or or maybe not good men that are very, very far from God. They don't really have a relationship with God. They don't care. They don't know God's word. They're indifferent toward it. And so you know what happens? Children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and generation after generation after generation who do not know God and do not care about God. And they may be decent people, but they don't know God. 
And so for all of those years in the Old Testament, as the people are getting further and further away from God and they're mixing with all of these cultures that do not know God and do not believe in him, and they're becoming more and more godless, more and more pagan, more and more sinful, God, through the prophets, was calling them to repent, get back to obedience, return back to the way of life that you know, return back to the way Joshua was, return back to the way Moses was, return back to these people that were faithful followers of me, please return back to that if not I'm going to judge you and they didn't and so God would punish them and bring judgment and it was tragic and so here when God sends the message to Zechariah the first thing that he says is that the Lord was very angry with your fathers sometimes you and I have to admit that those that have gone before us did not do a very good job Sometimes the people that we respect and admire and look up to, like our fathers, we have to admit, for as great as he was, he's not the most spiritually mature. He doesn't love God as I should. Sometimes, folks, you need to raise the bar above what your father is. I know that's a weird feeling. I know that's a weird thought. I don't mean any disrespect at all. You should absolutely respect your father. It is one of God's ten commandments to honor your father regardless of how much of a bum he is. But God has called you to know him and understand him and love him. God has called you to walk close to Jesus because that is the only place you'll get forgiveness of your sins. God has called you to be somebody that loves the cross of Christ for at the cross of Christ, Jesus, God's son, was crucified for your sins and it is only through the work of Jesus on the cross that God will forgive you of your sins and therefore accept you back into his love. That's the only place. So what you need to do is wherever your life is right now, you need to return your life to the ways of God. Trust in Jesus. And if your father was that way, praise the Lord. But if he was not that way, then you're trying to get past him in living for God. Marlon Longacre, one of my good friends and a big encouragement to me, preached this one time in a sermon. If you know Marlon, you'll find it humorous. If you don't, it doesn't matter. You're going to like this. He says, life is too short. And I don't have time to make all the mistakes myself. It is wise to learn from your mistakes. But it is wiser to learn from the mistakes of others. That's a good word. We're reading here in Zechariah that the people's fathers, the generations before angered God in their disobedience. And these people should be saying, we don't want to anger God. And you and I should be thinking, I don't want to anger God. We have heard story after story of people who have fallen away from God. You used to go to church, man. You used to be involved. You used to be in a Sunday school group or a small group, and you really loved it, man. You hang out, you hung out, and you, you had relationships there in church that were building you up, and you, you used to read the Bible at home, and you used to take her out on dates, and you used to do all of these great things, but you won't return back to it. And here's what the Bible is telling us. Those ways of getting away from God angered God. And so look what he says. Thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me. A simple message, return to me. 
I want to ask you here today, being all honest, I mean, you got up on a Sunday morning. Do you need to return back to the ways of God? Do you need to return back to where there's enough discipline? And it doesn't take a lot, but there's enough discipline in your life where you wake up early enough to not just drink coffee, but to drink coffee and pray. Because some of y'all used to do that. And you really loved it when you did. Do you need to return back to where there's enough discipline in your life? And I don't mean a lot. To where you don't turn the TV off after you've fallen asleep. You turn it off five minutes before you fall asleep so that you can pray. Do you know what would happen in your household if you returned to praying together? It'll be awkward. I know it will. You're going to feel like a chump the first time you say, come on, guys, we need to pray. They're going to look at you sideways. But you'll be returning back. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that some of y'all are thinking, it ain't a returning for me because we've never done it. But God says, let's return. And it may just be a turning to This is where we need to be. And some of you all are feeling that, knowing that. It may not be a prayer in the morning with your coffee. It may not be a prayer at night. I don't know what it is. It may be that, man, there there used to be a a, a commitment in your life to reading the Word of God. It may be that you you used to seek out somebody like a pastor or a leader or a mentor, and you'd say, hey, can we get together once or twice a month and just kind of talk Bible? Can we get together and just dig deep? Can we get together and hold each other accountable? Man, I remember those days when I was really growing in the Lord, man. I was looking you in the eye, and you were looking me in the eye, and we were talking about things, man. You were asking me about my purity, and you were asking me about my speech, and you were asking me about how I was doing. I miss those days. And God tells them right here, return to me. But look what it says there in verse 3. Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me. It's the Lord of hosts that says this. And this is interesting because get this. In Zechariah's little book, 14 chapters, I mean, it's a big minor prophet, but it's a little book. 53 times he says the the name, Lord of hosts. 53 times. That's a lot. You know what Lord of hosts means? It means the Lord of the armies. It means big. It means strong. It means mighty. It means God Almighty, the Lord who's over everything, says this to you. And you know what he says? Return to me. Let's get back to that. Have you you thought about that before in your own life? Maybe it is that you used to drink water and you're thinking, man, I haven't had any water in a long time. I need to get back to that. But then for some reason we don't. God, imagine God, the Lord of hosts, saying, return to me. And what I'm hoping and what I'm praying is that we here today will hear the Lord of hosts, God Almighty, say to us, return to me. And we'll start thinking, I do. I do want to turn to him. And not only will we think I want to return to him, but by his power working in us, we will say, I'm going to get back to that. I am going to get back to that. Josh, you're going to see me there. Josh, what can I do? Hey, how can I do it? My family's going to see a difference in me starting today. I'm going to return to what the Lord's calling me to do. Now, here in the book of Zechariah, let's bring it back to the context. What he's telling them is to get back right, focused on the Lord, so they can move in obedience, rebuild the temple, and start being the people of God in the world. That's what he's calling them to. So look what it says, though. 
Thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. I said it's 53 times in the book. It's three times in verse 3. The Lord of hosts is mentioned three times in Zechariah 1.3. I mean, God is sending his message, but his message is not this overbearing, powerful, like domineering God talk. This is the loving father that we have as the Lord of hosts. For he was angry with their fathers, and he said to them, return to me. But he says there in that, return to me, that I will return to you. And folks, listen. I don't know who's informed you about God. I don't know where you get your most understanding from God. I hope, honestly, that you get your most understanding from God from right here, a part of your church, from the faithful preaching of the Word of God as we open it. And then I hope every day of your life you're opening up this book and trying to understand it as you seek him yourself. But I don't know where you get it, but let me tell you something. There are a lot of wild views out there about God. There are as many views out there about God as you can imagine, right? But I want you to hear the true heart of God. The God that made you knows that you have turned away from him. We don't love God naturally. And his message to us is that I love you and I sent my son to die for you. And my son died on the cross. He shouldn't have died, but he died because of your sins. And when Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for people to know God. He was buried in the grave, and three days later, God raised him back. And if anybody anywhere will repent of their sins, cry out to God for forgiveness, if any of you here today will return, just like he's saying, and return back to God because of Jesus, through Jesus, trusting in Jesus, God Almighty, that made you, that you've sinned against, the judge of all creation will, will welcome you back. The Bible says he will also return to you. We've got passage after passage in the Bible that describes a God who is a father in heaven that loves his children. The Bible says he loves us first. That's why we love him back. The Bible says that he adopts us into his family, that we weren't in his family, but he brought us into his family. The Bible says in the story of the prodigal son that when the son was a long way off rebelling against God, God was looking out for him, and when he saw the son returning, he did just like this says, and he went and ran to him and grabbed him and hugged him and embraced him. It is true in the word of God. I don't know who's teaching you about God, but it is true according to God and his word that if you will turn to God, he'll come turning to you. Listen to how he says it in James 4.8. James 4.8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Turn to God He'll turn to you. Folks, if we are not close to God, if we are not walking with God or close to him or trying to obey or desiring to live in obedience to him, the reason why is because we don't want to. Or we don't want to enough to where we'll do something about it. There's the problem. And so God's message is return to me. And we have the promise that he will accept us and he will return to us. That's why the Bible paints this picture of a a big sovereign God who is the Lord of salvation and he's the one that gives grace and draws people to himself. But the Bible also paints the picture that God is there waiting for us to turn to him. That's why we need to hear the message, return to him. That's why you and I need to be challenged to get back right 
That's why we need to be people who are willing to draw a line and say, okay, I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to turn back to God. It's not so much, you know, how many days it's going to take to get this habit back right, but it's rather a heart change where we are setting our hearts on him. We've got to be willing enough, honest enough, humble enough. We've got to be, listen to me, we've got to be broken enough and convicted enough to say, I want to change. I want to live for God. I want to obey him. I want to live like a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. And then being honest enough to say, hey, I know y'all are going to realize that I didn't used to be this way. I know that if, let's say you started today. Let's say that today you're hearing this and you're liking what God's saying to Zechariah and you're saying, I want to return to God. Let's say that's you today. I realize, and we all realize, and everybody in your life realizes that people are going to look at you like, well, what's really different? And what was wrong with the old you? What was wrong with you on Saturday, right? And you need to be okay with being able to say, I'm just getting focused on the Lord. I'm just getting focused on the Lord. I'm not wanting to waste another minute or another year of wishing I returned back to God. I'm hearing God and I want to return to him and I want to live for Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 4, he says, do not be like your fathers. Now listen, it is a sinful world where that has to be said, and I think you know that. For it is the message of God that you are to be like your fathers in so many ways. You know that, right? God is our Father in heaven. We're supposed to be imitators of him. And the number one way that God has designed the world to work, life to work, family to work, and discipleship to work is through the family. But there are times, as I described earlier, where we have to say, and God has to say, do not be like your father. There are so many ways that I want to be like my father. I love my dad. I love him so much. I'm so thankful for him. I would not be uh, who I am were it not for him. He's a good father to me. And that's a good message that we need to hear. But there are times, like right now, where he says, do not be like your fathers. Now, why is he saying that? Because they were rejecting God. They were not living for God. They were not seeking God. They were indifferent to God. They were not listening to God. They weren't seeking what God was saying so that they could then return to him and walk in obedience. They weren't. And so he has to say here, do not. Now, here's what they did. Look what it says. The former prophets cried out to them, saying, The Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. God sent messages through the prophets to those people saying, Stop. Stop living this way. Stop doing that. Stop worshiping that. Stop giving yourself to that. Stop doing this evil. They didn't listen. Look what it says. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Man, the Bible is so simple. I know it's a common refrain that people say they don't understand the Bible, but this is so simple. Look what it says. They did not pay attention to God. Is that you? Is that your family? Is that your life? You don't pay attention to God. God says do this, and you're not paying attention. God says don't be like them because they didn't listen to me. And then he asks two rhetorical questions. Look at verse 5. Your fathers, where, where are they? And this is a hard truth, y'all. They died a disappointing death. Listen to me. 
when it comes time for you to die, those woulda, shoulda, couldas are going to hit really hard. I'm serious, y'all. I know y'all don't like these type of strong messages on a Sunday morning. Those woulda, shoulda, couldas are going to hit real hard. I've been a part of too many funerals where the children and grandchildren didn't have anything to say. These people didn't listen to God. God's words, they didn't pay attention to God. And now God says, where are they at now? Well, they've passed away. And God is causing them to remember it wasn't a big joyful celebration when they passed away either. They weren't focused on me. So you hear the heart of God saying, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Now, I don't know what your attitude is about South Louisville. So many things that I love about it. I could not be more happy about raising my family right here where we're at. But I don't hear a ton of legacies about fathers that have set the tone on how to live, how to age, and how to die with God in perspective. I've done over four or five hundred funerals in the short years I've been here. And it would be a select few where they've said, man, he loved God. He loved God. His life showed he loved God. So that when we were there doing the funeral, they were at ease. They were at peace. They were joyful. God has to ask them, don't be like your fathers. They didn't listen. They didn't pay attention to me. They worshiped other things. Where are they now? Then he asked the second question. What about the prophets? Did they live forever? And listen, y'all, that's this, that's this awkward rhetorical question where the people that preached to them the truth are now gone. That kind of shakes me. What if you and I die? Who's going to tell those people on our streets and in our families? The people that you wish came to church with you today that, that don't come? If you're gone, who's going to tell them? And God says, what about the prophets that were preaching to them? Where are they? They're gone too. It's been a long time of disobedience, wayward from God. People aren't getting right. And he says to them, from a passionate father in heaven, a God that loves them, return to me and I will return to you. Verse 6. It's the last verse of the day. But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. Zechariah says there that some listened. Some repented. Some turned back. And I want to ask you here this morning, we don't want to waste time on why you're not turning back. 
But we want to hear the word of God and we want to return to the Lord. We want to remember that this is the message that the Bible tells us time and time again because generation after generation, new people after new people are people that are falling away from God, turning away from God, or not looking to God. But the message of God is return to me. And may by his grace you and I be people who will. May we be the ones that God has given ears to hear where we say, yes, I want to turn to God. I realize that I have not been living for God. I realize that I've been far from him. I realize that it's been a year or 10 or 20, I don't know. It's been a while since I've gotten back to that. Some of y'all used to be leaders in churches. Some of y'all used to be leaders for God, and you've just kind of gotten away from that. Listen, all of that aside, let's return back to it. Let's say Christ is King, Christ is Lord, and when he saved me, he called me to follow him, and I want to get back to following him. Yes, life is complicated. Yes, life is messy. Yes, it hurts, but let's return to God. And let me remind you of this. As admirable as it might be, Desiring to return to God is not returning to God. I can't tell you how many times I wished I had ran and I didn't run. Desiring to do it isn't doing it. Doing it is doing it. If you're going to return to God, return to God. Humble yourself. Say, I need to make some changes. I'm going to make some changes. Say, God, forgive me of my sins. Restore me. Help me. Empower me. And know that you've got promises here that say, he will. You return to me, I'll return to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the beginning of Zechariah, this big book. It's going to be a good one and a deep one for our church. But God, thank you for the, the short beginning of six verses that says, return to me. Oh, Father, I pray that you would lead me as a, as a husband and as a father to be constantly returning back to you and steering my family on what it means to look to you. God, I pray that you would work in all of us, that we would be renewed in what it means to live for God and to seek him and follow after Jesus. Lord, by your power, give us that. But Father, encourage us that when we return to you, you're ready to return to us. Father, do that now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.